compassion is like the antidote to shame. It neutralizes shame. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you, friends, so much for being here with me and letting me be a part of your day. Today's episode is with Ms. Emily Ginn. She is an infertility coach, and she is a certified life coach and the host of IVF This, a podcast that provides practical tips to help manage the roller coaster of emotions that we all experience during our fertility and IVF journeys. Emily lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and two sons. They live a life dedicated to service. Emily has spent 15 years working as a social worker in hospitals and specializing in crisis intervention, grief, loss, post-traumatic stress, and post-traumatic growth. After her eight-year struggle with infertility, she decided to take her talents to the world of infertility and start working with women that are considering seeking or undergoing fertility treatments. She also helps them navigate the emotional roller coaster of feelings that we experience during infertility and fertility treatments and helps them to break free from the anxiety, shame, and guilt. So, Today's episode is we're going to be speaking about overcoming shame and how we can feel more empowered to be able to let our loved ones and family members in on our journeys so that they can help support us and so that we can feel supported and feel validated, feel seen and feel heard. But before we begin with Emily, shame is defined as the painful feeling arising from consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, or done by oneself or another. The second definition of shame is susceptibility to this feeling. And the third one is disgrace or ignominy. And my first thought is how can we stop feeling or believing that our infertility and our diagnoses and our losses, how is that our fault or ridiculous? Because remember, One of the definitions of shame is feeling like something is dishonorable or ridiculous. So why is it that we feel like our infertility and our diagnoses and our losses are ridiculous? It's far from ridiculous and it's far from being within our control, as we all know. And we know that also infertility isn't our fault. And nor does it bring disgrace upon you or your loved ones. But somehow we have taken on this feeling, this emotion during our fertility journeys. And I believe that a lot of it comes from the beliefs in the systems that society have put before us and made women feel like if they couldn't do this or if they couldn't do that, then they were dishonorable and they bring shame upon their families. And it's been that way for many, many centuries. So it's not really anything new in that sense. And so I also wanted to read you guys the definition of empower. To be empowered means to give power or authority to, to enable or permit. So we have the authority over our own lives and our own emotions, and we have the ability to enable and permit ourselves 
to feel empowered and to be able to thrive along our journeys. And we're going to get more into that during the episode with Emily. But I just wanted to get you guys' minds and juices flowing for today's episode about shame and how we can become more empowered in our journeys and releasing shame and healing from shame. Because again, it's not ridiculous. Your infertility journey and your diagnosis and your losses are not ridiculous, nor are they dishonorable. And it is out of your control and it's not your fault. And so I think that we have to really start believing in our minds and in our hearts that shame is really just a way that prohibits us from feeling empowered, which is what today's episode is about. And so we're going to get right on the line with Ms. Emily Ginn. And we're going to get some insight and some wisdom on how we can better be empowered and feel less shameful on our journeys. Thank you, friends, for tuning in. So we're back with Ms. Emily again. Thank you so much, Emily girl, for coming on and, and talking to us about shame and how we can be more empowered on our fertility journeys. Appreciate you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Emily, you have your own very long journey with fertility and trying to conceive. How did that start for you and your husband? How old were you when you got diagnosed? So it started for us in the summer of 2012 was when we kind of decided to start having kids okay. um, or to start our family. And then about a year and a lot of tears and everything later, we still didn't have anything. And so we pursued a fertility doctor in Houston, which is where we were living at the time. And it was at that time they found a couple of things. They found out that my husband had some sperm motility issues. I always talk about it like his guys are just standing around looking at each other. Uh -oh. They don't, they don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> and then for me, they found a, a 10 centimeter mass on my uh, ovary on my right, a uh, left ovary. Apologize. Okay. So I had what's called an ovarian torsion, which is where the weight of the cyst caused the ovary to fall over on the fallopian tube. So I had to have wow. surgery for that. I do not recommend that. If you can avoid it at all costs, do so. And then a few months later, we had settled into Austin and I went back to the OBGYN and they found that the, the cyst had returned. And so we just decided to go in and remove that ovary completely. So now my righty has pulled through the last like seven years. So within the first cycle after that second surgery, I actually was able to get pregnant. We were literally waiting for my period to come so that we could start IUIs. And, you know, it just, it just happened. Um, and that's our oldest son. Then about a year later, we decided to start again. And then another year went by, right? So now we're four or five years into it. And so we decided to go down the round of IVF. I think in that time, we'd also had three or four failed IUIs again. And then in IVF, we had a very successful first round with our uh, second son. Okay. Um, and then unfortunately, our third round failed. So we did not get pregnant our third round. Oh, wow. So it's been, yes, it's been quite the journey. I think it's, it's now eight years plus. So yeah. Yeah. Are you guys looking to have more children or are you, um, are you guys okay for now? There, we are considering going through, um, I mean, it would only be IVF at this mm -hmm. point. I'm 36 years old and okay. with his, with his, um, sperm quality issues. So it is something we're considering. We had kind of always planned for three kiddos. Yeah. Um, or more even. So it, it's just something that we're considering. I would start shots tomorrow. <laughs> My <laughs> husband's a little bit tougher sell. So we're just giving ourselves some time. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a lot. 
That's a lot. Yeah. Especially it had to been really shocking for you guys too, to know that your, your husband uh, was, had the main primary diagnosis of infertility and, and having to deal with that. So when did you get on the journey? I know that you were a social, you have been a social worker for a very long time. And so yes. when did you switch over to the fertility space? So I switched over to the fertility pa- space, like unofficially, mm-hmm. um, where I was just working with people that I knew or people that were referred to me okay. kind of quietly over the last couple of years. And then starting at the new year in 2020, uh, before the world shut down, yeah, um, I decided to go full bore into it. I knew that that was where my heart really was mm. um, instead of staying in corporate healthcare. So yeah, I made the plunge and it's just been an amazing journey since. Awesome. Awesome. Did you have to go back and get any specific training or was your, your degrees sufficient for going into the fertility space? It's interesting that you asked that coaching really doesn't require anything. It's right. um, very low barrier to entry. I decided to get a certification through the life coach school, which is mm-hmm. um, an organization that I wholeheartedly believe in. And I think it really kind of just took my experience in social work where I dealt with crisis intervention, grief, loss, post-traumatic stress, and it really just elevated it that much more. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I, I, I'm familiar with the school you spoke up to. I've seen their website. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really a good school. It that's, is. That's, um, that's amazing, though, that, you know, I find it, it's been, I've met a lot of people online and they have degrees such as yourself, where they may be like public health specialists, have a master's mm-hmm. in public health, and then they go through infertility. And then it's like the degree that they have is sufficient to be able to niche down into a coaching or consulting business of their own and That's come right. out of corporate America and just do something more passion filled, soul filled, as what I like to call it, soulful. Oh, yes. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. Moving into shame. In the intro, I gave the definition of shame and how the first part of shame is the painful feeling um, arising from consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, or done by oneself or another. And I just found it interesting when I looked back over the definition of shame a couple of weeks ago, well, a week ago preparing for the episode, I was like, wow, ridiculous, really? And though we feel mm-hmm. like that, during our fertility journeys. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you break it down like that and you see what the true definition of it is, it's like, you don't feel stupid, but it's like, wow, but this isn't ridiculous, you know? And so right. with our infertility diagnoses and our losses, because a lot of women feel a lot of shame about not being able to carry and they miscarry recurrent pregnancy loss or stillbirths. And what are some of the root causes do you believe in and you've seen in your line of work with shame and where it comes from? Do you think it's societal, moral beliefs, fear, or all of it? Oh, all of it, girl. Yeah. So yeah, kind of the biggest if we look back at true root causes is how we have been socialized and cultured through thousands of years, right? Our role as women was to grow and raise the children. Mm -hmm. So our worth was always, or has historically been tied to our fertility, just like virility, a man's masculinity is tied to his virility. Our womanness is tied to fertility, right? So, and women are very, you know, if you, if you think about it from like a a sociological or an anthropological point of view, we're very much role creatures. Like we, we have very strong roles that we feel for ourselves and anything that strikes at the heart of those roles causes like an existential crisis for us. Yeah. And so if one of the thing that we are cultured and socialized to believe that our worth lies in is challenged in that we cannot conceive or carry or 
whatever, a child, then that immediately ties to our value and our self-worth. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I, I, I really, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, wow. I mean, we're talking, we're talking hundreds and, and thousands of years from the dawn of man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this was our role. And that's why, you know, women so much carry the social stigma with infertility. We carry the social responsibility of infertility yeah. because we carry the social responsibility for growing and raising the children. Another big reason that shame is so pervasive is that it's by and large still considered a private matter, right? For for all of our cultures, over-sexualized nature, it's still kind of prudish in mm-hmm. this sense. So it's it's very much like a hush-hush. We don't talk about sex in that context. We don't talk about the inability to conceive because it kind of correlates with sex in that context. It's so funny how we compartmentalize what is appropriate to share about sex and what is not. So it's really, it's kind of also that historical viewpoint of what a marriage looks like, like what is a marriage, what it looks like. And so fertility and infertility fit right into that social construct, which by any modern standards Mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. In that same way, but it's still it's still a pervasive thought. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I agree with all of that and some because it's just like you said, the social conditioning over thousands of years. And it's so and when you look back at a lot of the older, uh, uh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, not much has changed. And it hasn't been very long since women have even had the right to speak their minds and vote. And we're still Correct. considered minorities as women. Yes. And then when, if you're not, if you're a non-white woman, you have a double minority of being a minority That's Correct. on top of, of a minority. And so I think that the pressure and, and I, I totally agree, it comes from all of that. Yeah. And then, so how do you feel about the moral standards that we create for ourselves that we've been taught over the course of, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, since we've been alive and our parents and our religious beliefs and, mm-hmm. and how that ties into shame. And because a lot of the, the old ways and thinking that you were just speaking about is also tied to that too. Absolutely. You can't get away from it. As women. That's right. No, the all things to all people mantra that women have been held to that unrealistic standard also goes with with hand in hand with infertility. Because if we're supposed to be able to do everything and we're supposed to be able to do everything quietly. Mm -hmm. Right. So if there's something that we can't do and that, again, strikes at the core of our role as a woman. I can't tell you how many of my clients say this is the one thing my body should be able to do. The one thing my body should be able to do as if that is the totality of our experience Mm -hmm. on this earth is to create life. Right. And that, that is such a fundamental core belief that the moment it is challenged, shame, guilt, anger, resentment, like all of these emotions are just waiting to bubble up to the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's a disservice that we do to, to each ourselves. other, yeah. um, to ourselves, to each other, like to our society that we kind of, we believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we're, we're ready to fight and argue and debate and throw mm-hmm. down over it too, because it goes along with men, it, you know, men deal with the same thing and being expected to be this player or yeah like you said, the vitality of a man's sperm and being able to mm-hmm. have the sperm to do what they need to do. And you have men like azespermia diagnosis. It's like, yep, that's ego shattering. And, you know, men thrive Completely. off of ego, you know, and they're not always heart centered in everything that they do. Like women are naturally. So mm-hmm. 
I think that we just have to learn to, I, I have this thing and I started, I started using it, practicing it about probably about 10 years ago. And it's the idea of stepping away from what society and or religious organizations tell you that you have to be as a man or woman or as a couple, um, whether it's uh, LGBTQ or heterosexual relationships. And that's making the rules that work for you. Yes. Taking ideas and beliefs from many different things and then creating the standard for your own self and your own expectations and not letting society fool you into believing that there's only one way to do things or that there's one way of how a marriage should look, you know, and right. as we see now with dads taking over some of the home life, mm-hmm. people are making their own rules. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really big believer in that. Um, Absolutely. And I think that we have to do the same thing with our fertility lives, you know? Yes. I think so much of, you know, infertility specifically, it, it, it almost feels like so much of our choice is taken from us. And I think that that also plays out in society, like that we have to abide by these things, just like you were talking about, right? But we get to decide. Yeah. We just don't, we just don't believe we have a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is recognizing wherein our choices lie and making those like conscious, deliberate, intentional choices on how we want to live our lives. And so that, that ties in really well with my next question and how can we recognize and be mindful of when shame starts to rise again? Because, you know, we go through stages where we get there, we take five steps and then something will happen, a trigger or something, and then it'll bring us back three more steps, you know, and it's like this constant battle back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so how can we at least be able to recognize it when it's starting to arise? And so that we can not really necessarily shut it down, but really sit with it. And, and, mm. and get through it. So I think of should statements like I should X, Y, Z, or I should not X, Y, Z. I always think of, you know, if you're shoulding on yourself in that manner, you will almost automatically receive a, that feeling of shame. Gotcha. It's an automatic generation because shame is very much built in the idea of something is wrong with me, right? Shame feeds off of insecurity and insecurity is what we think our life should look like or what we think how we think we should be, right? So if should statements are coming in for you, you know, if you're thinking in those terms, you're automatically guaranteed a a one-way ticket to Shameville, kind of automatically. And we'll, you know, everyone's shame cues are kind of different. For me, shame feels a lot like like a deeper embarrassment, Mm -hmm. right? So I can almost feel it in my chest. I feel closed off. I, I, Uh, Maybe even the act of crossing my arms or something like that. Those physical responses that that's one of the, one of the easiest ways to know that you're in shame. Okay. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. And that reminds me of some triggering situations, uh, whether it's being at the clinic, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I used to, I remember when I would go and you probably felt the same way as when you first started going to the clinic, like maybe the first month, couple months or something like that. You go into the waiting room and it's like, everybody's feeling the same shame, the same like deep level of embarrassment and nobody yes. wants to look each other in the eyes. No one wants to say hello or nod or acknowledge each other. It's like, look, mm-hmm. I came to do my thing. You do your thing. You stay over there. Like people barely even want to buy one another, you know, Yes. you know, until you become comfortable. Eventually I was just like, I'm going to sit here and you just gonna have to deal with it, girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next to you today. <laughs> today I'm sitting next to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like when you go to an OBGYN office and you're pregnant, everyone seems so happy and excited. And then you go to a fertility clinic and everybody is just, I mean, it's like walking the halls of like department motor vehicles. 
It's quiet. Nobody's talking. Nobody's making eye contact. We don't even want to share in that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. And it's just so crazy. But you know, I, I, I said, I'm going to make it a point next year when I start treatment again, uh, or at least to go get, see where I am with my reproductive system this time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm just going to make it a point to speak, even if they don't say anything back. I know it's not anything against me. You know what I right, mean? Because exactly. sometimes I think for me being a black woman, I would go in and try to speak to people and they wouldn't speak back. I'm like, oh damn, maybe she's racist or something like that. And it wasn't that. It was just that it's infertility. You know, it has yeah. nothing to do with anything else, you know? And I think we have to check ourselves sometimes too in situations and say, girl, no, 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 no. We're not going to do this. We're not going to say I should have, could have, would have done any of that. And I just mm -hmm. talk to myself like that. And it takes a lot of practice, I think, too. You know, it's not something that comes easily to us, I don't think. No, it's a very mindful practice. Yeah. Um, you have to, a lot of a lot of what I teach my clients is that the thoughts that come to us are very unintentional, right? What I call the BS thoughts that we get, that the thoughts that are like, you're no good, you're not worthy, yeah. right? The kind of crap thoughts that we get, those just come to us. Mm -hmm. The problem happens when we believe them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're talking to your, you know, if your thoughts coming to yourself are like, I'm disgusting, I hate myself, my body is against me or anything like that, they could come and go and nobody's the wiser. But the moment you agree with them and believe them, that's where the shame and the guilt and the self-loathing come in. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice. Yes. It really yes, does. it does. It really takes a lot of practice. And I had to learn, I learned that a great deal of that um, along my journey. And then also, I, you know, it comes again after you become a mom and you have extra baby weight, mm -hmm. same thing. And, or even for us who are still in the midst of treatment and you gain some weight because of hormones, the hormones that you're on, you know, and we get maybe a little bit more acne than we normally would with the hormonal treatments we're on too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it just takes a lot of work. And then men, we don't know what they feel in the inside when they're going through their own diagnoses and being of support to a spouse who has a diagnosis. And, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. It really does. And so the other question I want to ask is how can we begin to learn to trade our shame for vulnerability. And I, and what I mean by it is that shame is a vulnerable state of mind and a, a vulnerable emotion. So how can we turn that into just saying to our loved one, whoever we're with, or if we're by ourselves, like, look, I'm in a vulnerable state right now. Mm -hmm. And instead of turning it into a negative experience and just feeling deeply despaired by our situation or our current frame of mind, how can we begin to be honest with those around us and allow ourselves to be uh, vulnerable in a, in a positive way? It's mm. what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Um, I mean, the work of Brene Brown speaks oh, to this so beautifully. I know she's my boo. She's, she's I, I, like, my She's soul sister. Okay. Yes. She's a goddess. Yeah. Um, so she talks about how shame can't live in the dark or I'm sorry, in the light. It lives in the dark. Yeah. Right. The shame gremlins that she calls them. Yes. Yes. And it's so true. Like the biggest part of releasing the shame is to talk about it. Like we don't want to talk about it because we think that people will agree with us. Mm -hmm. That people mm -hmm. will see how ugly or you like useless that we are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but the the less that we talk about it, the more powerful it is over us. Yeah, yeah, right. So if we and and um, one of my favorite quotes from her, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna butcher this, but if we cultivate enough awareness around shame, if we name it, if we speak to it, we'll, we will cut it off at the knees. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think. Yeah, I don't know it verbatim either. Yeah, but uh, if somebody and, knows and I think it, that please was a tag us. Translation, yes. right? Please <laughs> tag us if anybody, if anybody knows the, it, knows it verbatim, please, because I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's the first step. Is is that is talking about it? And the second step is emotional awareness. Most of us are not aware of the actual feelings that we have. We're just reacting to them. We don't have a conscious aware of them. So. Shame is what a lot of researchers call a secondary emotion, which is usually hiding what we're actually feeling, which in infertility is anger, fear, sadness. Those are what would be considered primary emotions. So when we are not really aware of what is going on within our body, what's whether the emotions, we tend to cover those up. And we do that with shame, resentment, suffering, anxiety, irritation, those types of things. So untangling the root of what you're actually feeling is one of the best next steps right after talking about it. And then to your point, the the intentionality would be like the third step. We often believe that what we think and what we feel are us, like that they're the same thing. Yeah. Right. We conflate the two a lot, but a lot of my work centers around helping people to separate out. I am not my beliefs. I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings. I am not my pain. I am me. And I have those things. Right. So when we can look at them objectively, we can see the thought that are creating that shame for us. Then we get to decide if we want to believe it or not. And then you mentioned triggers earlier, and I love it so much. Like shame loves insecurity. So if you know, that you have triggers, that there's areas that you are working on that create insecurity for you, that's where the shame's going to live, right? So if for, like you mentioned, postpartum weight gain, if you know that that's an area of shame for yourself or an area of insecurity, yeah, plan for shame. Gotcha. Right? The problem is, is that we don't plan for these negative emotions. So when it happens to us, it's like we're hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, where the hell did that come from? Right. And then it starts the spiral. But if we plan for it, if we like expect in some ways it can be there, okay. then it totally changes our experience of it. That makes total sense. That's like right? putting on your clothes and saying, okay, I know I'm not where I need to be or where I, well, not, I'm not where I want to be, but this is where I am. And you're a badass bitch, you know, like, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? Just like kind of hyping yourself up. Is that kind of the idea of planning for it? So there's without being toxic positivity, you know? Oh yeah, girl. Talk, I could talk for hours on toxic positivity. <laughs> Woo. My goodness. Don't get, don't rev my engines yeah, on that one. Yeah. Um, but so planning for it is like, I'm going to put on these pants yeah, and it's going to feel tight around my waist and it's going to make me have thoughts about how I look and that's okay. Yeah. Even if you cry while you're doing it, cause it's happening even, to me like, even if you're crying, even if you're yeah. like wishing all of the calories away and uh, like literally everything else it's I, when I put these on, I know that I'm going to have a thought about how I look and then that thought is going to create some sort of feeling for me, but I can love myself through it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. And that's yeah. how we can take back control. That feel because that's something we can, can say to ourselves and we can yeah. we can believe it. See, that's the thing about like manifestations is that we have to, we have to, it has to be an emotion attached to it in order for our Correct. subconscious mind to pick up on it and say, look, we're gonna work in her favor. We're gonna, we're gonna turn this thing around. We're gonna help her, you know, feel more empowered or him feel more empowered because men grow through the same things that we do. They go through physical changes at, over time. And I think that they have a hard time dealing with it more than we do because society. 
Well, no, I can't really say that either because society is not in favor of an aging woman, but they are accepting of an aging man and he can, he can age with grace without any, without any criticisms, harsh criticisms, I should say. We're getting better at it, I think, especially with Hollywood putting more older actresses in movies and giving them big roles. But, you know, they go through some of the same same things that we do, but I think they, they, they release that anger or frustration about it differently. And I think we as women have to allow ourselves to be loud when we want to be aggressive when we need to be passionate about something when we need to and find an outlet in some kind of way, which leads me to a question that I have, but that wasn't written down or we talked about. And that is, for instance, I've never told anybody this, like maybe six months ago, I had a moment with my husband and we were being intimate and we were moving into having um, intercourse with one another and making love, right? And so I just began to cry because this overwhelming sense of shame came over me that I had never dealt with before about having low libido stem from my infertility. Yes. And not necessarily a disorder or a hormonal issue or anything like that. Yes. And so in times of intimacy, I know that there has to be someone else out there who have had moments out, you know, like that, whether male or female, heterosexual or LGBTQ, where they've had this moment where like, I don't even want to have sex because I'm dealing with all of these things. We're in the middle of this cycle and I just don't feel sexy. I don't feel masculine or I don't feel feminine. And how, how, how much different is shame and intimacy and just shame in general? Is You think there's a big difference? I think that one feeds the other. Yeah. You know, you, we have, I, I think... First of all, me too. I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to everything that you just described. Because women, you know, men are physically excitable. Yeah. When it comes to intimacy. Women are, it's an internal stimulus. It's a mental stimulus. Yeah. So when we're navigating infertility, like there, there are so many roles, again, the roles come up so much that are challenged by infertility. And one of those is how we look. Yeah. So how we look, um, based on all the weight gain that, you know, you, you described earlier with, um, with babies, without babies, with fertility treatments. And then there's almost this sense of what's the point, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If I can't get pregnant, if I can't get pregnant spontaneously, I don't like to call it natural conception because there's nothing unnatural about fertility treatments in my opinion. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but conceiving spontaneously, then it's like, what's the point of having sex? Right. Mm. Not that it's something that I don't I don't want to lead you down the path of it. Of course there's points to it, right? But in that moment That's how you feel. That that is an element of how we can feel like I'm I my body is supposed to do this for this and I can't do that, so what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. But to get back to your original question, so shame is like a, a big black shroud. Yeah like a, a blanket that we put over ourselves mm-hmm. and shame will, will, if left kind of unattended, will color every aspect of our life. And considering how personal intimacy is right. It's one of the first things to be covered. Mm. It's, it's the most basic, one of the most basic human urges that we have outside of drinking water and eating food. Yeah is sexual pleasure. And that strikes right at the heart of vulnerability. So shame is going to look for that 
in every instance and co- try to cover it up as much as possible. I totally agree. That makes perfect sense. Thank you for explaining that too. Yeah. It just came to me while we were talking about, you know, our bodies and stuff and then go through shame with intimacy too. And I don't think a lot of people will really talk about it that much. So yeah, I definitely wanted to clarify that. And I hope that was impactful for you, for you as well, friend, if you're listening. Another question I have is how can, well, why is healing from shame and becoming more mindful of it and becoming more aware of it so important do you feel like or in in what your experience has been with your clients why is it so important and why is it key to helping us along our journeys so shame is a non-productive emotion so kind of the best way that i can describe it so productive emotions are like motivation joy excitement things like that right they implore us to move forward shame demands that we stay in the same place so if we are truly and most and one of the reasons that shame is such an insidious emotion is because we don't really always know it's there. We know we feel like crap, but we don't know exactly. And that's why, you know, being aware of your emotions is so important. But shame is completely non-productive. So in order to heal, that allows us to start moving forward with our lives, whether it's with children, without children, whatever our future looks like, to heal from shame is the like the fastest and the the path of the least amount of suffering. It takes a lot of energy to feel shame. It's a very energy depleting emotion. So it's, you know, people will describe when they like an emotional or a mental exhaustion because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're at war with themselves. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. fighting this shame the entire time and it's exhausting. Mm. So that's why healing from shame is so important to just your, here's nothing to shame. Healing from shame doesn't have anything to do with infertility. It has everything to do with you as a person Mm. and you healing as a person is, I mean, it's everything. everything. We need all of you to make this world better. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just, which makes, yeah. yeah, Which makes it more than just about babies really in in conceiving much deeper, much broader. And that's what, that's what I talk about with my clients. This isn't, you know, I can't get you pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. If if only I had that skill, but what I can do is create, help you cultivate a future that you're excited about, a future that you want and self-love and, and healing from this shame. Cause it's so much more than babies. It's a, this is about you and your life. And there's nothing more important than that. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. That's so powerful. And I love what you stated a minute ago about shame being non-productive mm-hmm. and it keeps you stuck in this one place, this negative place, really. Mm-hmm. I've just had to reiterate that because right? that, that's really powerful when you think about it like that. Yeah. I love the way that you did that. Yeah. Mm. My favorite emotion to combat shame. I know you didn't, it just, when you were talking, I was like, no, I've got to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Compassion. Mm. Compassion is like the antidote to shame. It neutralizes shame. Like the, the toxic, if you think about it as an antidote in that context, it, it neutralizes the toxin in mm. shame, right? Gotta write that down for you guys. Gotta write that down. That's great. Oh, I'm full of sound bites today. It feels like <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. Compassion is the antidote. Wow. And you know, shame and self-loathing, right? Self-loathing feeds shame. Shame feeds self-loathing. And it, it doesn't have to be, 
right? I, I love to remind my clients, and I might have already said this, but I can't, I can't remember, that you can't hate yourself pregnant. Right, right. It's one of my favorite sentences to say to my clients because we think we can. Like, if I hate myself enough, then I'll, maybe I'll push myself to do this thing. We talk mm -hmm. about it in terms of weight loss or mm -hmm. anything like that. But really, when we can show up with compassion, even just like just a tiny amount of compassion to recognize that we're not perfect or that we yeah. don't have to be perfect. There is a study done at, at UT Austin, I okay. believe, a long time ago, talked about just from neurobiologically speaking, mm -hmm. shame ignites the fight, flight or freeze aspect of our brain the, in the amygdala, right? Okay. Compassion, just even just a tiny bit of compassion, actually, it triggers the release of a hormone called oxytocin. Okay. It's the, it's the love hormone, mm -hmm. right? So it, it actually creates a feeling of trust and calm and peace. So even just a tiny practice of compassion for yourself, you're going to start to unlock that peace that we desire so much. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where the idea, because I've read that exercise does the same thing and releases some of the same within the brain during exercise. It just, it releases the oxytocin. Yeah. And then I think that's the idea where the I am enough or the I am affirmations that people mm -hmm. use to help themselves through struggling times. And I think it can be effective for the right kind of person, but for somebody who is really deeply depressed or sad about their situation, the I am affirmations aren't really effective. And so no. I think this is a great way to think about it differently, what you just explained. And really enlightens. Yeah. I, I love that you said that. Be, um, I have like a love-hate relationship with mantras. Yeah, me too. I really do. Um, because, you know, for someone who hates their body and hates yeah. themselves, I am enough is a bridge too far. Yeah. They're right? not there yet. No. So mm -hmm. it doesn't do any good. And again, I could talk about toxic positivity all <laughs> freaking day long. But that's where toxic positivity creates so much dysfunction for us. Because if, if we're in the throes of, you know, a depression or anything like that, which I want to say right now, clinical depression needs to be treated by a mental health professional. Yeah. So if you're experiencing debilitating anxiety or depression, please talk to your OBGYN or your primary care doctor about that. But for someone who is still functioning and they're in the depths of depression, it is you can't get to I am enough. You have to start somewhere more neutral. Even if it's a building a belief around maybe it's possible I could be enough. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just in, incrementally slowly building your belief around where you could you could eventually believe that you're enough one day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I am enough, full stop, no explanation needed. You have to start a little bit smaller. Otherwise, you're just going to get frustrated and throw in the towel and just continue in that shame spin cycle. Yeah, because it's almost like you have to build up to believing in and believing yes. in your soul and, and, and making your subconscious believe it so that, you know, you can you can change your life uh, in a more impactful way. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take baby steps. That's why, I love the, that's why I love the saying one day at a time, you know, one, one second day. at a time, one, one mm -hmm. moment at a time, you know, because it really just breaks it down until you get to the point where you can go that far. And, Absolutely. And, and creating a positive emotion behind what you're saying to yourself, for sure. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to tell us today, Emily, um, before we wrap it up? Anything? Yeah. Else? You know, when we talked about compassion, I wanted to make sure there are three tricks 
just that I want to give the listeners to start practicing compassion just because it's not something that we can exercise compassion for other people relatively easily, never for ourselves very easily. One of the first steps to practicing compassion is practicing forgiveness, Mm. right? There's no upside when we practice shame and self-loathing. Self-forgiveness looks a lot like recognizing that you're not perfect and just being gentle with yourself. I always like to tell my clients, when you say you're worthless or whatever whatever negative self-talk you have, treat yourself like you're talking to your best friend and your best friend just said, I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. I'm a piece of crap. I don't deserve anything. How would you respond to your best friend mm. if they were to say that? Because I guarantee you're going to talk with a lot more love to your best friend than you would yourself. So that's one of the first steps. Journaling, I think, is one of the most important underutilized things in the world. You know, you get about 50 to 60, on average, 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And that takes up quite a bit of real estate in your brain. Yeah. And if a lot of those thoughts are, you know, shaming thoughts or thoughts that create shame, thoughts that create self-loathing, anything like that, then getting them out on paper, you're actually able to like objectively look at them. Mm -hmm. So even Mm -hmm. if you're just doing it 10 minutes a day, just literally just writing the sentences in your brain, it doesn't have to be a dear diary. This happened to me today. Just get something out on paper to get, create more space and more room in your brain to process. And then the last thing would be gratitude. Ooh, I love gratitude. Gratitude Gratitude is my favorite emotion. It's It's one of my favorite emotions. We spend a lot of time wishing for things during infertility, wishing for for things that we don't have. Have, Yes. Again, not productive. It doesn't serve us at all. It just creates more of what we don't have. It's getting back to this small things first and then building our way into it. Yeah. 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 Appreciating what we have right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you might not like your body, but you have a body. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I love to do gratitude walks. So I'll take a, maybe a walk around the block if I'm feeling frustrated or angry or something. And just like I'm literally connecting myself and my body with I'm grateful for the sunshine. Well, today in Austin, it's like 42 degrees, which is unusual for Austin, right. Texas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so um, like maybe I'm grateful for the break in 90 degree weather or yeah. something like that. Humidity. Something- <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Right. But focusing on our blessings kind mm-hmm. of allows that inner gentler voice yeah. to shine through. And I think that's effective for anyone, even if you're not religious, you know, and maybe you're more of a spiritual type person and you, um, I mean, that's one of the basic principles of spirituality. It's, it's gratitude because gratitude opens the door for everything. Everything. everything, everything. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful feeling to feel gracious yeah and 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 really because when you think about you wake up in the morning and one thing I like to practice is saying something I'm grateful for before I get up and Mm -hmm. saying the word of thanks right and so it really stops you into in your tracks and making you think about what it is that you are really grateful for because you can't fake gratitude no you cannot fake it if you're not feeling grateful today, you're just not going to feel grateful today, you know? <laughs> right, right. It really stops you in your tracks and makes you think about what it is that you're really grateful for. And if you can't right now, you know, you can always come back to it. But it's definitely key in my life to remaining in a state of uh, feeling abundant, you know, because infertility is a disease. And so when we hear the word disease, we think of being sickly, Yep. you know? And so I, it's just, infertility is just so much. It's, it's like... Huh. That's why we have a podcast because you can talk about it all day, all day long. 
what I call a, a disenfranchised grief. Mm. We don't, it's a silent grief that we experience. It's not, it's not the grief of, you know, seeing someone you love die or yeah. cancer or any of the, you know, visible things. Mm-hmm. 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 It's something that you don't know until you know, until you right? Know. Yeah, I, I and that's what one of the many reasons that I love your podcast is we can talk about every because there's no aspect of your life infertility doesn't touch when you're in it. No. And so just again, just shine the light on all of it. And that's how we end the stigma. And that's how and that's how we heal. Yeah. And that's it, guys. I'm not going to add nothing to you, Emily. And what she just said, we just got to heal. That's what we do here anyway, right? You got to make right. heal. Emily, give us your social media handle and your website so that we can connect with you. Instagram and Facebook at IVF This Coaching. Uh, my website is www.ivfthiscoaching.com. You can email me at any time at hello at ivfthiscoaching.com. So very on brand. And then, <laughs> um, and then I have a new podcast coming out where I talk about these like bite-sized concepts every week and it's IVF this. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to being able to subscribe and tune in every week so I can get my dose of whatever I need because it's, right. uh, we need all that we can get, you know, it's, we need all the help we can get, all the tools that we can get. So I'm going to make sure that I have Emily's information in the show notes, as well as some of the key points that we talked about today, just to keep those juices flowing as we move into the next week and into the new year and all that, so that you can, guys can feel more empowered along your infertility journeys and overcoming shame. Thank you so much again, Emily, for giving us your time. And thank you, friends. Peace and blessing.